All right, everyone, welcome on into the In the Open podcast. I'm uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jay Selmer. I'm joined with my other host, Gabe Walsh, and uh, Eric couldn't make it. He's up to Canada today. He's doing some fishing and visiting some family. But we are joined by Abigail Rose. Um, it's going to be a cool interview. She's pretty awesome. Loves the outdoors. Um, first thing we got a couple, just a one house cleaning thing we got to kind of touch on. So this week we're going to start releasing things called a uh, fireside, and uh, it's basically going to be the three of us doing our own individual stuff once a week. So Gabe will do one this week. Uh, me or Eric will have one next week, and so on and so forth. Gabe's going to do. What are you going to do, Gabe? Now I'm starting off just talking about, you know, introducing new hunters to to hunting and just what to expect as a new hunter coming in, um, getting into the hunting hunting world. Um, my plan is to just post polls on Instagram and get people to kind of throw out topics that they want me to talk about. Um, and it, it it's called Fireside, so I'm going to tell some stories and I'd love to hear some other people's stories that I could tell and just I kind of wanted to make it about what, what people want to hear, so... Be sure when those posts are up to kind of throw in some comments about what you want to what you want me to talk about. Then my stuff's going to be basically on the history of conservation and influential people in the West. And Eric's going to touch on fishing. So uh, let's get into it. So uh, how's it going, Abby? Abigail, sorry. <laughs> no worries. Either works. Um, good. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, of course. So uh, you want to just talk about where you're from, a little bit of background. Yeah, anything you kind of want to touch on? Um, I am kind of from all over. Um, I was adopted at a pretty young age and into a into a very indoor family, if you will. Um, and grew up mainly on the East Coast. And then when I was 21, I moved out West by myself um, and then found Montana, which is where I am now, uh, in 2014. Nice. What brought you over? Just, um, uh, wanted I to actually, get it away, you know, or sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I fell in love with snowboarding, actually. Um, I'd never really been around mountains. I hated winter. Um, and then I came out here and was like, oh, there's, there's a lot of really fun stuff to do during this time of year and uh, really, really fell in love with uh, just the whole mountain living through that. We're definitely pretty lucky over here, you know? Yeah. Especially yeah. like snowboarding and all that. What's your, not to get off topic, what's your favorite place to go snowboarding? Um, That's a tricky one. I, I do love snowball when there is snow. Um. Otherwise, it's kind of survival skiing. Um, but I first moved to Big Sky when I came to Montana. Um, so that mountain definitely holds a very special place for me. It's beautiful up there. So um, yeah, when a did you? Now. Oh, for sure, it's cr- getting crazy over in that neck of the woods. So when did you start hunting and what kind of got you into it? Was it like a, a thing that you came on to later in life or like, or was it like kind of earlier on that you were interested? So just kind of touch on that. Yeah. 
this path season was actually only my second season hunting ever. Um, I was raised by um, two bird watchers who were both like very like anti-gun. And so it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe five years ago that I just randomly up and bought my first gun. And it was, I just, I'd had a lot of fun shooting and I appreciated the group therapy that I got out of it. You know, it, it was really rewarding and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then I, I bought a recurve um, and I had a lot of fun with archery um but then actually you know two seasons ago my my boss was a pretty big hunter and i feel really fortunate um to have had someone willing to teach um because you know it 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 just really gave me a good opportunity to get involved and and learn a lot um and yeah Nice. Where do you work at? Um, so I work various side gigs, kind of. Um, but I'm currently actually uh, cleaning for work. Okay. Just curious, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I see, like, on your that, Instagram. That, you... like, that gig had been, um, I was shuttling for fly fishing guides. Okay. On the Park Fork and Blackfoot. Um, so, yeah, that was a fun gig. Um, but the my boss was a super big bird hunter. Um, he's really into waterfowl. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of, I don't know how to say this, but you know, secrecy and, and possessiveness about spots and, you know, tips and tricks of hunting. And it can almost feel like a little exclusive at times. Um, and so I was really fortunate to have this teacher because he always said that he's still learning. And I think that's the best kind of teacher that, that you can have is someone that's willing to be open to learning new things constantly and not thinking that they know everything and, you know, not guarding that knowledge. Um, and we went, he uh, took me and actually his friend's 14 year old daughter. And the last season she was sick and had COVID. And I remember him reaching out to me like, Hey, do you know anyone who's kid? wants to wants to go hunting and i think that that's the attitude that we need to have in the hunting community to get more people involved is just this like real desire to share yeah it's great to have open arms you know like a lot of people it's it's a really daunting thing to get into like we were both fortunate enough we've been doing it since we were young, like our parents, you know, taught us and everything. But, uh, I know a few people that are interested and they're just like, where do I start? You know what I mean? It's always nice to have that mentor. Yeah. I'm very jealous of people that grew up in hunting families. Um, I, 
am, am surprised that I came from where I did and ended up hunting. Um, but it really has taken over my life and, uh, you know, seeing people that have done that their entire lives. I'm like, you have no idea how you're, how lucky you are. <laughs> um, but I actually just recently quit nursing school. Um, I found myself this, this past hunting season more focused on hunting than, than nursing. And it was, you know, it's, it's every day, all day, just thinking, you know, even in the off season, looking up, you know, articles and new gear and all that stuff. And I'm really grateful for it because it made me realize that I don't want to spend my life indoors. I don't want, you know, to spend my life inside, you know, with people. I'd rather be outside and doing, you know, the Montana things. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's almost like an obsession where you just, you can't get it off your mind. And you're, I mean, that's the nice thing about hunting. Like you said, you're always learning something new. So there's always something else to think about or thinking about, you know, the spots you hunt and the experiences you've had. And like, man, what if I tried going down the bottom side and thinking of how that would play out? And yeah, yeah. It's, it's always on my mind, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it, always... it really took over my dreams. Oh, yeah. Like I started having dreams every single night about hunting. And then I knew it was bad when I had a dream that I was like part of a green wing teal flock. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I always think of it. It's like, it starts off as kind of a hobby. And then for most people, it just turns into a lifestyle. You know, you, it like consumes you, like you say. Yeah. So just judging from your Instagram and how you're kind of talking, you, you primarily hunt waterfowl? Uh, yeah. So it's, it's mainly bird hunting. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, being my, my dad worked for, um, the USGS and did a lot of tagging of birds, did a lot of, you know, yearly counts, um, was really involved in that. So, growing up I always had this this huge love of birds that he had influenced um and just this kind of fas fascination by them because they're they're really smart and um are you know capable of some of them are capable of abstract thinking um so I think a combination of that as well as who taught me what you know like who got me into hunting kind of really set me up to become more of a bird hunter than anything um and I also I really like eating bird it is so good uh mountain chicken uh prairie chicken you know it's just it's it's so good um and uh yeah so I, I primarily do bird hunting um but I have gotten uh, two whitetail. That was my first season. Um, and uh, I really, really love elk hunting. Um, and I think part of that is because I feel much more comfortable with a bow than a rifle. Um, and they're also just, they're just so majestic. They're, 
Oh, for sure. Incredible animals, yeah. Yeah, it kind of seems like, like with your your parents being bird watchers and then everything, it like, it almost was like a natural progression into it, you know. And then like now you're moving up into the big game. That's pretty cool, honestly. Yeah, and I think um, I think it was the last podcast you guys touched on how as hunters we care about these animals more than your average person and I and I couldn't help but think about Steve Rinella in uh what was it under the stars the stars above I can't remember that documentary name um but you know he's talking about how we probably know more about these animals than your average than your average person um and and I I really love that because um my my mother being a bird watcher and then finding out that I was hunting birds was just kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, how how could you? And then, you know, it's been really wonderful to be able to educate her and, and really have a non-hunter who has just been kind of fed all of the anti-hunting stuff to really open her eyes and see, oh, wow hunters really care about conservation and you know understanding the animal because we want to be able to continue hunting them yeah absolutely when you put a monetary value on something you know like it will preserve their habitat and hunters to this day as we all know have pumped in so much money to conservation and it's just it's awesome to enlighten some people you know yeah, I think I think that bridging that gap between non-hunters and hunters is really important, um, especially for getting people into hunting because there are some stigmas um, and there are some uh, stereotypes that need to be overcome. I was just reading something today. Um, I don't know if you guys follow Howl um, underscore org. But there, it's like howl for wildlife, and Colorado is pushing to put hunter safety in public schools, and I think that would be actually pretty cool to have up in the United States. You know, it'd be a really big thing for bridging that gap. That is amazing. Well, and I kind of touched it on on that on the podcast that I will come out this week, but it's it's really important for everyone to take hunter safety if you're going to be in the woods. Um, pretty much everyone in the West especially is going to have some sort of contact with firearms. And like number one thing at hunter safety is like safety with a firearm. So like no matter who you are, it's really valuable information. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So you want to touch on some of your favorite hunting memories you, you can think of? Um, sure. Uh, I think the most recent one, actually, the the closing day of the general season, or the most recent one, um, I was elk hunting. And I'd been in the day before, you know, seeing fresh tracks. Um, it was, you know, kind of went in, got to know the area. And so... We go in early the next morning 
And all of a sudden, wolves just start howling all around us. I have never gripped a 10 mil handle harder in my life. And, you know, it's pitch black and they were walking and there's one, we can hear it pretty close to us. And then one of us, I think, stepped on a, on a twig or something. And all of a sudden it starts barking at us. And I didn't actually know that that wolves could bark. I, <laughs> I mean, it makes, it makes sense, but I, you know, just froze. And the, the hill that's, that's next to us is the base of it probably starts about, you know, 50 to a hundred yards away. And because of the bar, you know, we can hear that he's at the base and or in that area. So knowing that we were that close was just kind of one of those moments where like, I'm never going to experience this again. And, and so just kind of staying still for a while and letting it bark at us was really cool. And then. Sorry, just trying to talk. What? No, you're all good. Continue. Sorry. I was just letting Gabe. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my bad. My bad. Anyway, no continue. Worries that part out but um so where was i so we're you know just standing there and and this wolf is barking at us and we didn't say anything didn't do anything and then eventually it lets out a howl all the other wolves respond with howls and then they just clear out of there and it was it was such a cool experience um but it was, I mean, it was also frightening. Um, and then to know that, like, they were hunting the same elk as us. It was just kind of one of those moments, like, wow, I am a predator. Like, we we are predators and we just kicked wolves out of this area. And knowing that, it was just, it was just wild. Um, and then... Um, the, the other best part about that day was I heard my first bugle. Um, and I was kind of surprised to hear a bugle after all these wolves had been in. Um, so I'm assuming that it must have been like a young bull. And I was using a cow call, but I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest. He probably was not responding to my hoochie mama. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it was, it was just thrilling to hear that sound and, and, and we saw elk, um, we got within 30 yards of a bunch of cows in these tight trees. And they just stared at us, you know. There's no pressure on these cows because um, of the hunting regulations in that area. I'm sure the wolves take care of that population. Um, and But just, just being, being that close, um, that's probably one of my favorite hunting days. Uh, you know, I, I herniated a, a disc, but I still was like hiking through thigh deep snow, chasing elk. And that's when I knew that I was just crazy about it. (laughs) That's when you knew you're hooked. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think, um, just being able to sit in a blind 
and be able to, you know, I'm, I'm not a very good duck caller. Um, but I've got a couple notes that I can use and watching birds turn in response to a call, I think is one of the most exciting feelings. You're like, Oh, I'm talking to them. I'm communicating with them. And, and that's how I can imagine, you know, like people that are, are good at elk calling probably feel you're having a conversation with them and um it's you know can it's you're trying to convince them and it's just a really cool opportunity uh to have um and then one of my favorite moments waterfowl hunting um we had a bunch of uh tundra swans land in our decoys and just I guess the opportunity to watch, you know, these, these amazing birds up close um, and getting our decoys is just, it's really cool. All of it, all of the hunting is just my favorite. <laughs> I don't have one. That's something we'd like hard when says, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. When, when someone says pick a favorite memory, I mean, every memory we have of hunting is special for one reason or another. So it's hard to pick, pick favorites out of them. Right? I could ramble all day about my hunting experiences. <laughs> I did think it was interesting, and I just wanted to kind of touch on, like, if those wolves hadn't made any noise, you would have never known they were there. And, like, I mean, I heard wolves this season. We got kind of ran after by a bear this season. But the only way we knew they were there is because they started making noise. Mm -hmm. And just, like, how how close we come to how many predators in the woods that don't make a sound and just let us pass by or, or elk who hear us and don't make a sound and let us pass by. It's, it's pretty wild when you think about that, that those yeah, big animals can be so quiet and we could just never see them, even though they're right there. A hundred percent. I, I've actually had a lot of experiences, run-ins with, with moose. Um, and They've just been, you know, right at, down in the Bitterroot, right off the Bell Crossing, you know, I'm, I'm out there fishing and all of a sudden there's a cow moose right there. And, you know, if I hadn't been paying attention to my surroundings, I probably would have gone that whole day fishing next to this cow without even knowing. Um, so yeah, it, it really, it is cool, but it's also, you know, a little nerve wracking. I always think about mountain lions, um. And, uh, you know, how many times has a mountain lion seen me as I'm, you know, hiking alone in the woods? I'm and... willing to bet a few for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've actually, I've actually heard one before. Um, I was camping with my dogs um, and I'm getting my fire going. And uh, one of the dogs that I had at the time was not a barker. The only other time he'd barked was at a moose that we saw uh, just right outside of Missoula. Um, but he just is standing his ground and barking. And, you know, I'm kind of getting freaked out. Like, like what's, what's out here? Like I, there's no grizz out here. And so I'm, I'm like, well, is it a, is it a person? Cause that's mainly what I'm worried about in the woods, especially as a female, I'm worried about humans. Um, and, I will never forget the sound of this cat hissing at my dog Oof. because it was like the loudest candle being extinguished. And, and, you know, of course my brain goes to all of these different places. Like what? 
and and just throwing everything the dogs the wood everything into the back of my truck and just jetting out of there <laughs> and uh yeah it took me a while to camp alone after that i still struggle camping alone like it's tough it's intimidating yeah 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 but i think that the more that we just practice getting out there and getting alone the more comfortable we're gonna be and then with hunting just you know the more comfortable we are out in that setting the more successful we're gonna be because you know we don't have to worry about a b and c because we're already used to that oh for sure and you get to know your surroundings and you can actually focus on other things you know yeah So as a new hunter, I'm sure getting into gear, I mean, that wasn't cheap. And what's kind of your, your take on gear? What's the gear that you feel is most important? We've talked about this a little bit. Um, and especially you going from, you know, your experience with waterfowl to getting into big game. Was there any kind of crossover with gear? Did you have to buy a lot of new gear? Like, how did that work for you? Um, well, I spent way more than I'd like to admit. Um in the last few seasons. And I actually did, I did do big game hunting um, my first season as well, but I was fortunate enough to be able to borrow rifles. Um, and I think, I don't know. I just, I went crazy with gear. Um, I am not a pump action shooter. It's just, I get, you know how people talk about buck fever mm -hmm. i get bird fever <laughs> like i see a, a group of of mallards coming in and my heart's just going so i don't have time to you know pump a shotgun or any of that so i ended up getting um a semi-automatic um i actually have two i have a 20 gauge and a 12 gauge um so that that was you know essential um and I think this season I was definitely more prepared with gear. I had bought waders and those, you know, you, you can't really waterfowl hunt without waders um, where you're going to get wet. And that's, that's what I did my first season. I would just sit with cold, wet, you know, water filled boots. <laughs> and uh, so getting, getting waders was really important. Um, getting uh, decoys and I was lucky to um, get a bunch of really, really old decoys that somebody had discarded. And um, it's kind of fun because I've been working on restoring them um, and, you know, just painting them, which I, I think there's a lot of art involved with waterfowling. Um, and if you really get into it, you know, like fixing your own decoys, making your own decoys, um, that can be a lot of fun. But I also bought some and those are expensive as well. Um, but yeah, um, as far as big game, you guys are talking on the other podcast about disposable blades and I am just such a big fan. Um, I use them for everything. Um, because it's also, 
it's more sanitary. Um, and it's just, you know, I never have to worry about a dull knife. Um, binoculars are obviously important, um, especially with, with bird hunting. I mean, they're so small that, you know, you, you really often can't identify something just from looking at it. Um, and I think one of the most important things for waterfowl hunting is scouting and you don't want to bump birds. You like, that's the last thing you want to do is bump birds out of a spot. So getting good binoculars uh, is crucial. And I'm actually using 15 by 56. Um, so. <laughs> you probably get some real good detail, honestly. Yeah. 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 It's fun. Um, but yeah, as far as, as gear, you know, decoys and, and, and warm clothes and, and shotguns um, and binox. Um, it's good to have a blind bag. Um, and then, yeah, duck calls and, and goose calls, um, which fortunately are not too expensive. But I don't know. I, I started out with decent gear just so that I didn't have to replace it. And I think that it's worth it to put the money into nicer gear, especially if you're going to be out in the morning in negative five degrees, you know, your hunt's going to be ruined if you're cold. Oh, for sure. You're actually teaching us some stuff because we know nothing about waterfowling. So this is awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I'm excited to share what I know about it. Um, but I definitely, I, you know, like my teacher, I still have a lot of learning to do. Oh, for sure. And it's so hard talking about gear because there's there's endless gear for hunting. Like we could spend the whole podcast just talking about hunting knives. Literally. Reference. It's just the more you hunt, the more knickknacks you want to get, the more like small little things that always seem to run a higher price tag. And so it's just endless cost it really is i have this one um it's like a sitka glove that you just put on your non-trigger hand and it's got this like warm fuzzy compartment on top so you just stick your other one in and it's like this small piece of gear that was just ridiculously expensive and probably not worth it but you know we have to have it (laughs) and i think that's part of the obsession you know, I, I get that way with most things, but, you know, you kind of become a gearhead when when you're really using and utilizing all of those tools. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, I will say that it was a struggle to find gear for women. You know, you can go into any sports store here and, you know, find any size, any pattern, anything for men actually a lot of my hunting clothes are are men's clothes um because there's just not a whole lot of female hunters in comparison and i can think you know there's proas which is an all-female camo 
uh, maker company. There we go. <laughs> I need more coffee. Um, but but there's really there's really not a lot. And then you you look at brands like She, and it's these are brands that were you know developed by men. So that was one of the biggest things that I looked at and was just like, this needs to change. Like this is. I can't find any gear for myself. Um, I never really thought about that. That's honestly, it's like, damn, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But you know, there's just, I think that it's a really masculine space. Um, And I really only have one friend that is a woman who hunts with me. Um, she's, and she's one of the only, she is the only waterfowl hunter I know. And I, I was asking her the other day, cause I was like, you know, I'm going on this podcast and I kind of want to touch on what it's like to be a woman. And she said, I only have two female friends and you're one of them that hunt. And you know, there's, it's such a small community. And then getting into that it can be can be a struggle as a female as well um but yeah that that was a big thing was going into the the camo section and being like what what can i wear what can i get you know literally i actually met that friend in bob ward's camo section so I saw her looking at waterfowl gear and I was like, oh my gosh, it's a girl? There's another one? So I so I went up to her and like asked her some bullshit question like, hey, have you seen any waiters for women? And she was like, no. And we instantly started talking about bird hunting and, and you know, the rest went as it did. But it's, it's really hard um, to, to find stuff for women and then also there's just not a lot of women out there and being in the blind with a bunch of men um there's definitely a a masculine energy there and I was raised by my dad um and I, I guess I always was kind of involved with um male like sports and you know, most of my friends were guys, always have been, because I'm more into the outdoors and, and stuff like that. But I really think that there needs to be more of an opening to get women involved. No, that's a great point. And I think that you definitely, it, it helps you kind of stand out too, if you're like, I don't know how to vocalize what I'm saying. Um, it's okay. I just rambled a bunch. No, you're okay. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. I'm brain farting here. You're blowing my mind over here. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, I think that there's a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of stereotypes. You know, like men are hunters and you know, men are into guns. Um, but I think that a lot of women just aren't exposed to it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and then, so I've tried reaching out on social media platforms and trying to find other female hunters and just being in those groups and seeing all these, these women write about their experiences. A lot of them are like, well, you know, I, my boyfriend is taking his friends, so then I can't go hunting. And I think what, what needs to be encouraged is that, that independence and getting women confident in carrying a firearm, getting them confident in using one so that they feel safe out in the woods. Um, and just like promoting, yeah, female, female hunting. And, and there are women out there. Um, but like I said, a lot of them have been reliant, you know, on their, their fathers or, or their boyfriends. Um, and I actually, uh, even struggled with my, you know, first season, I couldn't go on a lot of hunts because I was a female because, you know, wives or girlfriends were like, who's this, who's this chick coming on? You know, you can't go hunt with some strange chick in the woods. And, and I totally get that. That's totally fair. But, you know, that's the reality of it. And, um, there's a lot of like boys hunts. I'll be like, oh, you guys are going like, let me go. And they're like, mm, sorry, it's like only boys. Feels like a boys club sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think that waterfowl is is really nice for women because there isn't um, the difference in ability. Like when I think about big game hunters and and women versus men, the only difference I think about is packing out. Like the physicality, because, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, biologically, like, typically women are smaller. I'm 5'1", you know? I'm, I'm tiny. So for me, I can't carry, you know, half an elk out. I'd have to do it in, without help, probably in four trips. And um, especially with a herniated disc. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, but, you know, with waterfowl, yeah, it, it's... It stinks when you have to like drag your decoys all the way out to a field. I think getting a sled is a really good idea um, for carrying all of, all of your gear and equipment. Um, but I can go out and you know hunt alone, and I don't have to worry about am I going to be able to get my meat out in time? Is it going to go bad because it's taking me so long? Like no, they're ducks, you know, and I can only get seven so i can carry that have you ever thought about like making a group uh for like helping introduce women who are interested in this space i definitely have um i work um with a nonprofit here in missoula called girls on shred my friend my friend sam runs it um and we give free clinics to women to learn how to snowboard. And it's really nice because there isn't that need to prove yourself extra just because you're a girl, you know, and, or woman, excuse me. Uh, but, uh, 
I really would like to get involved with making something like that for for women. Um, yeah, I think I that'd can. be really healthy too. Like, I know there can, like you say, there can definitely be like some, I'd say, toxic mas- masculinity and like some stereotypes, and just I, who knows women better than other women? You know what I mean? And right. I think that would be right. that would be really good. So FWP actually does have um, a group, and I haven't participated yet. Um, I just have kind of been doing my own thing um, and really hunting, but it's called Bow Becoming Outdoor Women. And so they do archery, they do ice fishing, and um, they kind of get women together for that so there there are opportunities like that um and i think also it's just it it's it's hard it's also hard to get a bunch of strangers in a blind together not knowing each other's uh, gun history or you know, like if they've had any experience cuz because it, it can be dangerous. Um, so I think that's one of the things that has definitely stopped me is, you know, I know that I'm safe <laughs> by myself in a blind. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I would love to get women together and, and really teach them that. And I think um, that that women could really make a difference in the hunting community. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's see where we at here. Well, I think you touched on something there too. I mean, hunting with people, other people, especially takes a lot of trust, whether you know them or don't know them. I mean, even with, you know, your buddies, it, sometimes you have to like, make sure you're telling people to be aware of where their muzzles at. Um, I mean, you're, there's just a lot of stuff going on and weapons are involved. So, I could see it's hard with with friends to make sure everyone's on the same same path and being safe together. So with with strangers, I can imagine that's even harder and a little more worrisome. Absolutely. And then you know the other thing to take into consideration is um, with bird hunting, you're usually using a dog, and um, I've got I've got two dogs. I've got a, a German Shepherd and a Lab, um, and you know, I have to be really vigilant when I'm hunting with them to, you know, I, you don't want to shoot your dog. No. <laughs> and, your and, friend. and I think that that's the biggest concern with, with hunting with other people is if they're not used to shooting around dogs, that's a, that's a big thing. But, um, again, it's just practice and practice makes permanent and you've got to practice the right way. And, you know, that's all it is. So I think, I think it would be, would be a lot of fun to, to go down that route. Um, I'm also very content hunting alone. Yeah. (laughs) You kind of don't have to worry about, you know, someone else calling or over calling or, you know, if I, if I flare a bird and they, you know, when I say flare, they, they see me and, and, and fly off, you know, they're kind of spooked, but, um, 
it's okay if I do it, but when you're hunting with someone else and they do it, it's kind of like, what? Like, did you really just do that? You know? <laughs> and, um, and so I think that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just easier alone. But again, as a woman, it's hard to find people to hunt with. Um, so I've just kind of settled for that. There's also some just peace I've found when I'm out by myself, just experiencing it all for myself. It's just kind of that I'm like inner peace, not like in a Buddhism sense, but maybe it's similar to how that feels just kind of at one with your surroundings and kind of experiencing it all in your, in your own context, not changed by anyone else around you. I mean, that's pretty special. Yeah, I love that. I, um, I'm not a religious person. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm overly spiritual, but being out in nature is definitely like my temple. And yeah, when same you here go out, for sure. When you when you can go out by yourself and be successful there's something really rewarding about that self-sufficiency. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, gaining trust and confidence in your yourself and connecting with the land. And I really think that at the end of the day, like that's what it's all about is, is getting close to the land and understanding all that it holds. It's rewarding. And then you can, you can definitely say, I did that, you know, yeah, I worked towards that and I achieved the goal and you feel really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's another thing that I like about bow hunting, um, is, is doing that alone. You know, you can go out there and, and get close to an animal and, and, and the whole idea of success. I don't think should be defined by a kill. Um, and that's something that's really gotten me through as a new hunter who primarily hunts alone is I don't beat myself up every time I don't get an animal. I can go out there and just getting close to something is a success. Oh, I, you know, I hiked this far. That was a, a new success today. And so, um, yeah, I just think that I encourage people to go out alone um, because it's a whole different experience. Yeah, it's almost meditative, you know, like you a little bit of it's 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 good for your mind, you know? Yeah. I did have and a question. I, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No. So while we're kind of on the subject, so elk hunting, deer hunting, like backcountry hunting, it's all, it's like stereotyped as being very physical. So what would, how would you approach it? Like as a woman, just like your physical fitness out in the woods, like guys were, were lifting weights and hitting it hard, but like, how would you do how would you approach it, I guess? So I've been 
backpacking since my teens. Um, and I think that that really set me up to be prepared. Um, I just, I, that's what I do in my free time. I go into the woods. Um, and I know that for my first, you know, before I really got into hunting, I just stayed on the trail. Um, but as soon as I started hiking off trail, my whole world kind of opened up. And I think that that's how I, how I prepare is just, you know, getting out there and like, I think also having dogs is a good motivation for that because they have to, they have to get that exercise. Um, but you know, getting a backpack, putting some stuff in it, going for a hike, um, is really the best way to prepare yourself, you know, hunting without, without actually hunting, you know, just and finding tracks and beds. And I think that's, it, it's kind of like a game and I don't really look at it as working out. I'm kind of like, okay, where are the animals? Like, where are the tracks? Like, you know, oh, here's some scat, here's a bed. Oh, here's a game trail. And then it's kind of like figuring out a puzzle and you're putting together this story of what's going on out in the woods. And so I don't really, I don't lift weights. I don't, you know, like go to gyms. I just, I just hike. Yeah. That seems like a common theme. Like most people we asked, like that we've interviewed thus far, they just put on a backpack and go, you know, and I think that's one of the best things you can do. I really do. Yeah. And I think it can really help your confidence. Um, especially with backpacking, um, and, and staying out in the woods overnight. I think it was last summer, two summers ago, my German Shepherd and I uh, did 27 miles together oh, wow. in the Bitterroot. And, you know, it's definitely, it was, there were moments where it was scary. Um, and I shared the South Kootenai Lake with a cow moose. And, but, but once you get out there and you survive that first night, it just gets easier after that. And so, yeah, I think it's important. Well, that kind of goes back to uh, the one part you said about just being comfortable out there. I mean, the more time you spend out there, the more comfortable you're going to be. And I'd say 80% of being comfortable while hunting is just being experienced in the woods. It's not actually shooting the animal. I mean, yeah. there's a ton that goes into getting on the animal before the very end of shooting it. So just being comfortable getting through the woods, traversing tough terrain, uh, surviving out in the woods. Um, that's like 80% of the battle right there. Yeah. Yeah. Being, Absolutely. being comfortable is getting accustomed to being uncomfortable. I would say, you know, since it's, it's not yeah. always pleasant and rainbows, but when you learn to endure no. it, it's, it's a lot better. Kind of that, is that type A fun? Oh, yeah. You think about it after, and you're like, yeah, that was a good time. Hiking back from that, that backpacking trip that I was just talking about, we got caught in a storm. 
So I hiked about nine miles in just downpour. And in the, in the moment I was like, I'm not going to make it. I'm done. Like, I'm just going to go sit under that tree. <laughs> but, but then you, you keep pushing yourself and it, and it sucks, but then you're done and you're like, holy shit, I did that. And you feel so good. And, and then you're prepared for next time. Well, and afterwards, you're, I mean, we had a similar experience this year. We did a long day and it was getting dark and we saw elk. So we ran a little further and all of a sudden it's dark out and we're miles from the truck. Yeah. And it's a long walk back and it's brutal the whole way. And by the next day, you're like, man, that was a fun day yesterday. Yeah. The moment, the moment you're, like... you're just like, this is terrible. <laughs> but after you're just this like, that was a great day. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think, um, getting women out alone in the woods, um, not only being comfortable with the woods, but being comfortable with a, a sidearm is really important. Um, and so I, I just think that exposing more women to guns is really important. Um, because that's really what's helped me feel safe in the woods. Um, and a lot of it is about people. It's not just, you know, you're afraid of that grizzly or or that mountain lion. You know, if you're out in the woods as a as a small female, you know, men men can be scary. <laughs> you know, and especially other other people with guns. And so I just, yeah, I think it's all about comfortability and practicing and exposing yourself to every situation that you possibly can. And I'd agree. I mean, just even as a, you know, a male out in the woods, I know my chances are way more likely of an altercation with another person than a wild animal mm -hmm. where I need to yeah. use a sidearm. It's the people are always the, the biggest threat in the woods because you just, they're a complete unknown and, there's 100% chance they have a weapon with them. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, people are always kind of the, the worry in the woods and that's whatever makes you feel safest out there. Um, especially with dealing with people is definitely important to have. Yeah. And then, you know, I think that when you're dealing with public land hunting, you really run into a lot of people and you know, I know that just just this past season, driving into a spot to hunt birds and, and people came in after us and, you know, we were like, just we're, we're hunting here just so you know where we are. And they were probably 100 yards away from us. And and so, you know, it can be tricky and I think that the the best hunting happens when you can push yourself a little further, like past what these average hunters are doing. If you can just like go the extra couple miles, get into that like really hard to access spot, then you're going to be better off. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's tricky when public lands get crowded yeah totally i know we're worth hunting um like i'd argue if you're willing to walk a mile off the road you're gonna cut out 
70% of the people. There's people road hunt so hard a where big we are. thing yeah with road hunting and truck hunting and um i experienced that a lot with elk hunting had a hunt day ruined from a guy who was driving up the road in the bottom i had parked at the bottom so he knew i was hiking in there and he drove up the entire road bugling from the road uh just blew all the animals out of there so i actually touch on that on my podcast too where we're hitting a couple of topics just about that kind of respect of your hunters and we're all out there for the same experiences. So giving each other kind of room to work. There's there's even on public land, there's so much land in Montana that you can kind of, you can have a section to yourself. Um, and so just like giving your fellow hunters that respect that, that you would give them, you know, and that they want, um, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that part of, what needs to happen in general with every single aspect of life is communication. Mm -hmm. And instead of coming at another hunter with animosity and saying like, Hey, this is my spot. get out. I mean, Hey, where, you know, I'm hunting here. I'm okay with you hunting over there as long as you're safe, you know, and, and, and talking to people because if we just run at each other, you know, going, get out of here. It was just going to cause problems. And I think that there's enough land that we, we can figure it out. Um, but really understanding that everyone's out there with kind of the same goal in mind. And, you know, it doesn't have to always be a competition. Yeah, we're, um, all, we're all sharing the resource, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like I'm definitely, yep. I'd say like ninety eight percent of my interactions have been like positive, and it's it's all about that communication. Like you said, there's been a couple where it's been like a fight, you know. But yeah, if you're if you're open, you're nice. You're gonna say, "Hey, I'm over here. Let's stay away from each other," you know. And it usually works out pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I found generally hunters kind of have a hard exterior. But once you start talking to them, everyone's really open about their stuff. And that's generally, you know, as, as with all things, there's going to be some people who don't fit into that and who are kind of, you know, hostile about things or don't do things the right way. But in, in generally, everyone's kind of, like you said earlier, it's kind of like exclusive. Everyone's pretty secretive yeah. and kind of hard to break into. But everyone's everyone seems to be really open to talk about their experiences once you kind of break down those walls. And usually that's just like, hey, how's it going? How's your day? you know yeah. like good luck out there to you uh, kind of just breaks down those walls yeah, yeah i know it's i get a lot sorry. of sorry go ahead you got this all you <laughs> um for me i think my the most common interaction i get is oh wow you're out here and uh so instead of animosity i often get like doubt they're like what what are you doing out here and so um that's an i guess that's just another perspective of, of being a female hunter just He's gives you all the reason to prove them wrong you know right yeah. with a 20 it, it kind of sucks that it's like that i mean i grew up where Every time I was shooting a gun, my sister was shooting a gun right next to me, and my little, my other little sister, my brother, and I mean, I sat next to my sister for her first year, and I mean, I was just kind of raised like 
when I was shooting, my sister was shooting and we were always doing the same thing. And so just some people don't have that experience or don't kind of see things the same way. And it's just kind of a shame that it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing though, that your sisters were, were involved in that. I've met a lot of, um, women and I'll, you know, I'll start talking about hunting because I can't stop and they're like, oh, yeah, my, my dad and brother did that. But I always stayed home. And, you know, I really look forward to, you know, maybe one day having my own family and, you know, teaching my kids. Because I, I just think it's such a, a cool experience. And, it, and it's not just for, for males or females. Um, and some of the female shooters I've met are way better than men. So. Do you have any do you questions have any... there, Gabe? No, I don't have any questions. That was a really good conversation. And it's nice to have a different perspective than just our male perspective. It's really interesting to have like a different, different angle on it. It's really valuable, I think. It is, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, I think that it's, it's definitely growing. Um, there's, there's a lot of women who are, you know, getting, getting out there, um, and, and having a presence online. Um, but it's, it's also unfortunate to see, um, a lot of the kind of superficial, influencers out there getting all of the attention and then you know i i follow a bunch of women who are recurve hunters and it's you know like these are the women that need to be seen these are the women who are going out there and you know shooting deer with a recurve bow while carrying a kid on their back and i just think it's incredible and you know i just i just hope to see it continue and grow and uh, you know, hopefully we can kind of even, even things out so that, you know, women have more opportunities and exposure. It's inspiring like too, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's very inspiring for everyone in general. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know, just, I think that, you know, getting into it, just like putting in the time is really how to become successful, especially with waterfowl hunting, you've got to scout, you know, because you think about it and 50 to 100 miles to go eat is really easy for a bird. Um, they tracked um, a bird from Saskatchewan down to Peru, and it had it had traveled 7,000 miles. And you know, so so you really you really have to put the time into scouting to be successful with water hunting. You know, you got to go at different times of the day and not just in the area you're in. 
because, you know, they're flying all over the place and they've got all these corridors and yeah, I, I, I really think that scouting and, and teaching people to scout is, is how to, to help people become more successful. Will you touch on like your scouting methods? Um, just like, do you, you don't have to give up any big secrets, obviously, and no spots for sure, but no just like what your process is. Yeah. Um, so gotta have binocs, obviously good ones. Um, but I will try and find a roosting area. So I want to see where they're going at night and I, I typically feel like roosting spots are bad hunting spots because they're going to get up in the morning and go feed. And if it's really cold, they're going to feed twice. Um, so you've got, you know, a bunch of opportunities. But um, for me, I will sometimes just sit for hours and watch, you know, you've got to look up. And, and, and I think that's the difference with with bird hunting is they're all over the place there, you know, and looking at those, um, birds that are, you know, under a thousand feet. Um, you know, I want to see the birds that are kind of flying lower because those birds are probably gonna, you know, fly a couple miles and go eat the ones up top, you know, they're just, they're just passing through. Um, but it, but really, I just, you know, I want to I wanna be there at different times of the day. Um, I think that it's really fun to just scout all day for birds. And I think part of that is, you know, I, I grew up bird watching. So I could sit for hours and just watch any bird. Um, but I think that, you know, finding those consistent flyways um, and, then, and then finding somewhere along the path. You know, I think paths can be better than a destination. Um, because if you, if you only hunt that destination, eventually you're going to, you're going to bust out your birds and it's the young, it's, you know, the early season, young juvenile birds that don't really have any exposure to hunters that you're really going to get on. But it's, you know, these, these birds are smart and, um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you don't, uh, I just, I just think it's, it's better to, to pass up a better look than it is to bump them as well. Um, because I think that finding, finding those spots and like taking the time to get in and look at it from different angles is important too, because birds like cover and so you just have to I I just think it's about all day different perspectives and and just being really careful not to bump them and then finding good pathways and finding what they're eating um and then also you know listening you know what what kind of calls how loud are they being um and I think that that can really help you kind of adjust your own methods of calling 
you know, if you know that they're they're being really loud, then then you can be really loud as well with your with your calling. Um, and then, yeah, like I was saying, it's a path is better than a destination. So, you know, call call them while they're flying instead of, you know, being at at their their end spot. Um, and um, back to scouting, though, I'm getting a little all over the place. Um, all good. No worries. <laughs> I'm definitely a rambler. Um, but I think also it's really important to, to look at, like, when did they get there? And did they all come together or did they trickle in? Because, you know, you, you see, you see, you know, a bunch of birds in, in one spot, but it's a good spot to me if they're coming in a couple, a couple ducks at a time, because if all of them fly in together, that's, that's one shot opportunity. And I'd rather get, you know, the late brunchers, the lunch rush, you know, just a couple coming in. And then especially those, those solo ducks, they, you know, often when, when you've got two ducks that are paired up, they don't want to be near the social scene. So they want to they want to kind of find something less crowded. So when you've got a solo duck flying in, it's going to be a lot easier to call them in because they're thinking, "Well, I still have to find a mate." And um, so I really think that finding, you know, the small groups that come in um, and knowing the population of an of a roosting area, so that you can really figure out like how many are going in what direction. Um, so it's really, you just have to take, you know, the time. So, um, so what hunts do you have planned this year? Um, I am thinking about spring bear. I've never shot a bear. Um, and I've heard that it can be really intense. Um, and I've heard that they look like humans. I've done quite a bit of work with cadavers, like human cadavers. So I'm not as freaked out. I actually love to butcher. Um, I spent this last season, uh, butchering a lot instead of hunting. Um, but I, so I'm thinking about bear. Um, I definitely want to, um, there's some women in the Dakotas who are big on pheasants. Um, so I'd like to go out and link up with those women um, and and see how that goes, you know, and maybe bringing them to Montana because um, I'd like to get into more pheasants this season. Um, so going out east, um, I've got a lot of plans for that. Um, and uh, I also am excited because, so I got a, a lab puppy um, last year and was hoping to have her for my hunting season. Um, but she was the runt. And so she's ended up having a lot of health issues. Um, so it really kind of slowed my hunting season, um, because I was taking care of her instead of out hunting. Um, but she's doing a lot better. So I'm excited to, to get her out, um, and, you know, duck hunt as, as much as I can. Um, and 
yeah, I'm, I'm also going to be probably getting another lab. They're, the breeder is going to, because she's had so many health issues, they're going to give me a started dog. So I'm excited for that. Because um, honestly, the, the dog work is half of, or not even half of it. It's more than half of it. Watching those dogs work. I mean, she's so excited. When I just throw a decoy into the river, you know, she her whole body is shaking. And it's not because she's cold. She's just so into it. And I can and I can look at her and say other birds. And it's like the head cock. What? What? And um, so I think that that's, you know, my plan is to really just focus on, on dog work. Um, I'd like to also um, get in on some elk. I... Um, found a bunch of cows um, that I've still been tracking um, and uh, I got within a friend and I got within about 80 yards of legal cow elk but it was before shooting light Um, so uh, I'm going to go after those Um, and yeah mainly dog work it's exciting. I've never really hunted with dogs, so um, I'm sure it's another connection all on its own. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And my German Shepherd, I I shot guns around her a lot when she was a puppy just because I didn't want her to be gun shy. But I never looked at her and was like, oh, you're going to hunt. And... um he has flushed numerous grouse for me. And while I really think she's probably hunting squirrels, um, it's just, it's it's really, really fun um, to have that. Because you, then you feel like a team. And again, you're connecting with an animal, which I think is part of the excitement of hunting anyways. But now you've got another animal involved and um yeah it's it can, it can be it can be a struggle though you know if you, if you can't get them to do what you want you know watching them you know kind of lose a duck you know that can that can be really really hard um but i think one of my actually one of my my only pheasant i was hunting with a friend's dog this yellow lab named butters uh, she's amazing but we're um walking and i and i'm looking at this tree line and i'm like come on come on and she's stuck on this little tree there's snow all around the base i'm like i'm like come on there's there's not a single bird there let's go you know but she of course is so much smarter than me and she's able to pop up a rooster who flies directly over me and i just I is perfectly in line straight above me shot it and she runs and grabs it and to have that that teamwork you're just like oh my gosh we did it and and sometimes it's more like oh my god the dog did it (laughs) I didn't do much but I think it's just exciting for them as it is for us Just because you're so experienced with waterfowl, have you ever considered doing like uh, the turkey season since that's kind of the big game waterfowl mix, I guess, as far as you can get bird-wise? Yeah, you still can yeah. call and everything. Yeah. 
Um, I've definitely thought about turkey. I've I've never eaten wild turkey. Um, and I've heard a lot of mixed reviews. Um, so and and part of it for me is I, you know, I, I'm really doing this for for the obsession and sport of it, but also because I want to ethically source my food. And you know, I don't want to just waltz into the supermarket and grab something that's been you know trimmed and packaged. I want to know where my my food comes from. Um, so I've thought about turkey, um, but I I'm not sure that I really want to eat a wild turkey. So we'll see if it happens. Um, <clears throat> but I'm really there for for food, and and duck is just. It's so good. It's so good. And so is grouse and and elk and pheasant. But yeah, turkeys are I think it would be fun for archery. Um but I don't know. I'm I'm not that attracted to turkeys. <laughs> I think they're kind of weird. That's fair. <laughs> They are weird, and it's definitely a cool way to, you know, hone in your archery skills if you want to do that. Turkeys have such amazing eyesight. I mean, it, it's similar to hunting an elk with the sense that the animal just sees. I mean, that animal sees everything, elk smell everything, but just yeah. it's another level of skill. And then obviously it's a pretty small target with your bow. It'd, it'd be interesting to give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. So I tried, I have tried, um, I tried to shoot a grouse with a bow. Um and it just kept ducking its head you know i I don't want to i don't want to ruin the breast so i'm going for the head and it just kept ducking its head and it was the most i lost like four arrows with broadheads it was the most expensive grouse ever (laughs) um but it's definitely it's definitely thrilling to have a small target with archery um and and it'll make you better and i think that's also one of the reasons why i like duck hunting it's a small, fast moving target. Um, but yes, archery, archery and birds is definitely on the list. I, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, but he, he hunts pheasants with a recurve. And I just think it's the most wild sport ever um, to be able to do that. So yeah, hitting a moving target with a primitive bow sounds a a little difficult for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my end goal. So part of the reason why I got into archery was because I wanted to hunt elk. Um, I want, I want to be up close and personal and I want, I like things to be challenging. I will always pick, you know, the harder way around (laughs) just because I like a challenge. Um, and so I, I just, yeah, I think that there's, there's something more spiritual too about being, you know, using a primitive weapon, you know, it really, it really calls all of your senses and, and abilities and, you know, you have to really be aware. And um, my end goal is to uh, 
get an elk with a recurve, but we'll see if I can ever get one with a compound first. <laughs> Baby steps. You got this, yeah. though, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting your last, the last podcast you guys were talking about, you know, like starting out with a rifle. And I think for me, I was the total opposite. You know, I, I have, um, from my, the end of my driveway into my garage, I've got 20 yards. So I shoot my bow at my house about every day, um, both bows. And, uh, you know, every time I missed, I just go wounded animal, wounded animal. And it really, really got to me and it really forced me to get better because I think ethics is really a huge part of hunting and, um, yeah, making sure that you're, you're able before you go out and do something was really important to me. So I wanted to make it, you know, hard and and really force myself to work. I would say that's going to be more rewarding for you anyway. You're going to be, you're going to have that exponential growth and you're going to be a better hunter probably faster than most people for sure. I know I'm definitely going to going to struggle for a bit longer probably with this method, but I think it will be more rewarding in the end to have that success. Was there anything you want to touch on that we didn't talk about at all? Um Hmm. No, I, I mean, I think just as far as if you're trying to get into waterfowl hunting, scouting is going to be your, your first thing. And you've really got to take the time and just don't bust your birds because if you bust them, out of their roosting spot or their feed spot constantly, you're going to ruin that spot. You cannot overhunt birds because they just, they're smart enough and they'll go, oh, someone got shot at over that landmark. So I'm going to totally steer clear of that. Um, so really, I think for beginner, beginners like myself, uh, scouting is is really what you have to put your time into um and i also encourage um people to get involved with conservation as well so the first week of april i'm going to be working on the sharp tail grouse project with fwp um we're going to be i don't think i'll i'll have time to to camp and trap but um hopefully i'm going to be on the release team um so uh, getting involved with um, the actual conservation work, I think, is important too. Not just the hunting side, but helping to maintain these healthy populations so that we can continue to hunt um, and really, really respecting that and taking the time to understand these animals is important. Yeah. Well, where can, where can our listeners find you? Um, I am on 
Instagram, um, C-M-E-D-B-D Wings. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the CMR Ducks. I CM Ducks. I forget. I forget. What it's is like it? It's like CM or Ducks. O-S-A-R. I remember now. Um. But so it's, yeah, C-M-E-D-B-D-W-I-N-G-S. Um, and yeah, you can also find me in the woods. <laughs> cool. Hey, well, we re- we really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, you're welcome. We're we're going to wrap this up, but you're welcome to stay on and we can talk a little bit more. But uh, really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, thanks, Abigail. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next week.